Jesus has gone with the disciples on a retreat to the regions of Caesarea Philippi. They've been busy teaching and the crowds have been around them and they've gone for some rest and recreation. Well, while they're there in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, as Matthew calls it in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his inner circle of friends two questions. The first question has to do with the impression that he made on the people that he came in contact during his brief ministry. He asked them first, he said, Who do men say that I am? Now let's be clear about this. Let's be sure about this. I'm confident. Jesus already knew the answer to that question before He ever asked it. I'm certain that He knew the answer as well as His friends did. And Jesus wasn't looking for information. What Jesus was trying to do was to help His friends come to a clear and solid affirmation of their own faith. And when they answered the question, the disciples did not tell the whole story. They did not mention some of the ugly criticisms that they had heard about Jesus. They did not mention there had been those who had accused Jesus of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. They didn't talk about how that they had accused Him of eating with publicans and sinners. Rather, what they did was they told Jesus the complimentary things that people had said about Him. Some had been so impressed by the fiery earnestness of Jesus Christ that they thought that He might be John the Baptist come back from the dead. Others had seen the rugged strength of Jesus and they had called Him Elijah. Still, others had taken note of His tenderness and compassion and they had referred to Him as Jeremiah. And then there were still others that felt He embodied the finest qualities of the heroes of the past and said, well, He's one of the prophets. That was the very climax of the complimentary things that people said about Jesus. To be likened to a living prophet could be anything but flattering. If you look at the Bible, real prophets, while they are alive, generally manage to get themselves hated and hated heartily. But to be likened to one of the great prophets of the long ago, Oh, that was high praise indeed, one of those long since dead prophets. And that's the way we are, isn't it? Aren't we accustomed to honoring our illustrious dead? Aren't we accustomed, even in our country, of celebrating the birthdays of certain select individuals whose achievements were outstanding? I remember as a boy, we used to celebrate... George Washington's birthday and then Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And, and then it got to the point that we're just getting the holiday, the calendar filled with so many holidays, they just lumped it together and called it President's Day. But we 
celebrate holidays of certain important or significant individuals. We write books and read books to remind ourselves of the virtues that made these great personalities what they were and to keep our sense of gratitude for what they have done for us, to keep that gratitude alive. And yet, as much as we honor our illustrious dead, and as much as we honor our heroes, when we find ourselves in the middle of a bleak winter, we don't generally turn to George Washington in memory of his heroic struggle at Valley Forge, do we? And yet, oftentimes in the midst of struggles and trials in life, we do turn to Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They said, some say thou art Jeremiah, or Elias, or John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. Well, now Jesus asks them another question. He doesn't want to know what other people say about Him. He wants to know what His closest companions say. And in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, Whom say ye that I am? You've told me what others are saying about you. What about me? What do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? Now that's a question we might wait for the answer to in breathless anticipation. Other men spoke from hearsay. Other men spoke from maybe hearing or meeting Jesus once or twice. But these disciples, these men that He's taken with Him for this R&R on this retreat, they're the star witnesses. They've been with Jesus constantly. They've heard all of His words. They've seen all of His deeds. They've watched Him heal the sick and raise the dead, restore sight to blind eyes and hearing to deaf ears. What is their answer? Because you see, when these men first began to follow Jesus, they did not have any clearly defined answer. They didn't really know who He was and and what He was all about. They knew they found Him amazingly exciting. They found Him to be the most charismatic personality they'd ever known. There were times Jesus shocked them, and there were times that Jesus thrilled them, And then there were times that Jesus filled them with awe and with wonder. They were certain of one thing. Jesus was greater than any man they had ever known. And when they went on this retreat, the cross is only about six months down the road. Jesus took them there. There to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Because he thought they had been with him long enough that they could have reached some conclusions. They'd seen Jesus in times of solitude. They had seen Jesus in the middle of the crowds. They'd been there when Jesus prayed and they'd been there when Jesus preached. They'd seen all of his great works and he said, Who do you say that I am? Simon became the spokesman, as always. Big, rugged, impulsive Simon. The fisherman disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. And he spoke up for all of them. In a tremendous answer, Simon affirms his faith. He says, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, Simon is saying, I have found in you the very values that I seek and the very values that I find in God. And what was the answer Jesus gave to that response? Did Jesus rebuke Simon as an honest, mere man would have done? No, He did not. You see, there are those in our world today that want to say that Jesus was not really God incarnate. They want to say that Jesus was a good man and a great teacher, but beyond that, He was nothing more. If Jesus had only been a good man and a good teacher, He would have rebuked Simon and said, No, I'm not the Son of God. But Jesus didn't do that. If you remember, in a few years, Paul and Barnabas are going to be preaching in Lystra. And they're going to stir up a great deal of excitement. And the people of Lystra are on the verge of offering them sacrifices because they thought Paul and Barnabas were gods. And Paul and Barnabas repudiated that kind of honor. And repudiating that honor, it nearly cost Paul his life. So if Jesus had merely been a good man, he would have repudiated what Simon said. But Jesus did not rebuke Simon. On the contrary, he pronounced a blessing on him with wholehearted enthusiasm. Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In that way, Jesus declared that the conviction of Simon is the truth. And it was a truth that Simon had come to possess because he had been illuminated by the very light of the God of heaven. When Simon made that declaration, when Simon said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, it wasn't some passing notion. It wasn't some spur-of-the-moment guess that he made. The certainty that Simon had, and the certainty the other disciples had, that Jesus is God, come in the flesh, did not weaken with the passing of years. It actually grew stronger. Having witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus, having experienced the events of Pentecost, these men became absolutely certain that the same Jesus they had walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine with was alive forevermore. And they became more and more certain that Jesus was both with them and He was within them as a living presence. Here's a question this morning. Is the faith of Simon and those disciples in that far off day is the faith that they had, is that your faith this morning? Because right here, right now, 
Jesus Christ is searching our hearts with that same question. Whom say ye that I am? And that is a question that is an abiding question. Beloved, in every age, that is the most important question that men and women must deal with. And it's therefore the most important question that confronts me and you today. And that's not just my opinion. That's not just my conviction. That's the conviction of Jesus Christ Himself. It's a very important question. It's a question that is so important. If we answer it wrongly, life will be an adventure of failure and tragedy. And if we answer it rightly, life is going to be an adventure of joy and victory. In Matthew 7, Jesus is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a close. And in verse 24, He says, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be likened unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. But everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. In that manner, where Jesus said right before He gave that illustration, He said, not everyone that heareth these sayings of mine shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Who will, Lord? He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Beloved, in that way, in that manner, Jesus claims to be the arbiter of human destiny. He claims that whether nations or individuals rise or fall, survive or perish, depends upon their attitude toward Him. The supreme question of the New Testament is some form of this question. Who say ye that I am? What think you of Christ? Whose Son is He? What a person believes is a matter of great importance because beliefs are creative. A wrong or misplaced faith comes out in wrong conduct and wrong character. And in that same way, a right faith comes forth in right character and right conduct. So when Jesus says, Who am I? When Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? He's asking a question of great importance. And not only that, it is an intensely personal question. For Jesus to say, who do you say that I am? It's intensely personal. You remember reading about Paul? 
when he reached Rome as a prisoner. The Jews gathered around Paul. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They gathered around Paul. They said, we know, Paul, this sect that you belong to is everywhere spoken against. They let him know in no uncertain terms, you Christians have a bad reputation, but they still wanted to know what Paul thought. Because these Jews seemed to be saying that they realized something big, something momentous had happened to Paul. Because it was obvious something had brought him safely through all of his trials. And they came to Paul in prison in Rome because they wanted to know what Paul thought of Jesus Christ. They wanted to know who Paul thought Jesus was. Who Paul said he was. Are you listening? That same question comes to my heart and your heart. Right here, right now, 1135 in Center, Texas. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do I say that Jesus is? I'm happy in the conviction that there are those who find in Jesus just what those early saints found. To many of us, He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's our Lord, our Master. He's our Savior. There are those of us who can say with Paul as he wrote his last letter to Timothy, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He can keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. And yet the great tragedy of this hour and this moment is that there are so many in our world who have never come to that certainty about Jesus. And my heart's desire and prayer is that someday they too would come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is a religion of giving and receiving. We give our worldly goods, our time, our talents, our love, and our very selves. But it's also a religion of receiving. When God gave Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, do you remember what happened? Some refused that gift. One of the saddest sentences anywhere in the gospel story is in the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. And that sentence reads, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And yet in the very next verse, you read these words, As many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God. That is what Jesus is constantly doing for those who receive Him through obedience to His will. When we, in humble obedience, submit our stubborn will to the will of God and to the will of Jesus Christ, 
When we submit to Jesus Christ, Jesus gives us the power to become. Simon received the power to become a rock-like Christian character. Fanatical, narrow, impulsive, high-tempered, high-strung John received the power to become the apostle of love. To everyone that submits to Him, Jesus gives the power to become a new creation in Him. When we receive Jesus Christ, we become and we receive more than just the power to become Christ-like. We also receive the power, the ability to give somewhat as Jesus gave. In that distant day, there were those who chanted loudly, We have no king but Caesar. Those who shouted they had no king but Caesar, their houses were swept into oblivion centuries ago. Do you know why? Because they were built on sand. But in that far off day, there was a much smaller group that kept on saying, We have no king but Christ. And those folks still enrich us. They still breathe on us like the breath of an eternal springtime. Because receiving from Jesus the power to live, they also receive the power to give. And so may it be with me and with you. Whom say ye that I am were the words of the Lord. That was the question presented to those disciples on the coast of Caesarea Philippi 2,000 years ago. What's your answer to that this morning? If Jesus was speaking to you face to face, eyeball to eyeball right now, and Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? How would you answer Him? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of your life this morning? If He's not, why isn't He? Do you believe in Him as the Son of God? Are you willing to turn your back on sin through repentance and confess that faith and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins? If you've never done that, that's the first step in acknowledging the power of Jesus Christ. But maybe you've done that. But the world hasn't seen Jesus living in you. Do you need to come back home and say, Jesus hasn't really been Lord of my life. He hasn't been the Master of my life. I want to change that right now. And I want brothers and sisters to pray with me and for you. Or maybe there's some other need that you have in your life. Whatever that is. Whatever it is we can help you with as far as being obedient to the Lord of glory. This is your opportunity to come and let that be made known as together we stand and while we sing.